We're back here uh, and we're kind of continuing some of this conversation and we're excited to have um, Roy Moran on today. But before we kind of jump into that, I mean, we got to go with Storm's Dream Corner here. So what do you got for us, man? Storm's Dream Corner. Don't add the sound effect. (laughs) Sorry. We have the sound effect. I know, but I just want to do it (laughs) every time. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I'm on time this week, which is also nice no and fun. No construction. Also nice and fun. Um, anyway, so I, I got two mini dreams. I didn't have any any big ones. Um, but the first one was... This is a twofer, huh? It's a little twofer. Okay. Um, the first one, I in the dream, I was at my parents, like at the house I grew up at, that they've now sold, in the garage. And I was showing off to my family this... Uh, qu- air quotes fire pit that i bought but it was like almost like a pizza oven with a stainless steel sink attached it was like something that would be in a restaurant kitchen but i kept calling it a fire pit i don't know why (laughs) and like trying to show it off and they weren't all that thrilled and then i looked around the garage and realized because i'm also addicted to house plants i have a bunch of them addicted i I, I have a problem. problem use that word um but I looked around the garage and there were all these plants that I had forgotten to water all winter. Like I forgot I had all these plants oh too. Gosh. Yeah. So that was one that was pretty rough. That's and rough. then I woke up like, Oh, my plants. And then I was like, Oh, they're not real. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, the other one was addiction was the right word. Yep, right. See, yeah. See, I woke up anxious about plants. I don't actually own. Yeah. Um, and the other one was, you know, those like, um, uh, like, beer carts that like everyone pedals and it moves mm-hmm. yeah. it, I, I was on a double decker one of Ooh, those yeah. which i don't think exists yeah. but <laughs> it's about to and the guy driving or steering decided to like ghost ride the whip and he, like jumped off and we crashed oh my <laughs> and then i like got up and i was like well that was wild and i, I don't know why but i had a can of wine like sure can wine that's a thing that's a thing thing, but i've never had one in real life but i was holding it and some guy ran by and stole it from me (laughs) (laughs) that was the dream these are deep i think there's going to be a lot of people giving us feedback about the interpretation of these ones there's something to the parent one old house uh, yeah you know didn't your dad have like that stainless steel thing out i mean he had yeah like an outdoor kitchen out back like a it had uh coal tray you could raise and lower and like a rotisserie attachment oh my all kinds of stuff wow but i don't know why i kept calling it a fire pit it wasn't a fire pit (laughs) (laughs) okay well let's see what people say you know we don't know dylan you got anything on that any um got some freudian takes just kidding i'm not gonna go into that (laughs) okay Uh, (laughs) i have to let it simmer i have to let it simmer for a little while okay uh Maybe like halfway through, I'll just blurt out what I think it, think it was. That works for you. Oh, okay. Cool. Nice. Love it. All right, Roy. Well, uh, we're thankful that you wanted to jump on this thing with us. Maybe you didn't want to, but you're here, and we're, we're grateful for that. You know? oh, great to be here. I yeah, mean, man. The dreams are worth coming. That's go. right. Uh, it keeps people coming back. That's what we've heard. Yeah, I think I'll, I, I've got some Ambien in the car. Oh, oh man. That could get weird. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, man, we just we, we love being able to hear stories first and foremost and just kind of hearing all of your background, mm-hmm. you know, our paths have crossed. You knew me when I was little. So I'd love to hear kind of as those paths crossed and, and all that and just, yeah, we want to hear your background and where you're at now. So Sure, sure. Yeah, we go way back. I yeah. Mean, so. <laughs> back to the uh, the Heartland days on 83rd and Lamar and yep. that whole thing. So wow. Yeah. Well, I was, um, you know, I... Went to college, Baylor University, Sikkim Bears. Still in the tournament. Still in the tournament. Playing the Cougars on Saturday. Yep. So I'm hoping everybody out there is rooting for them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Big 12. I'll go yeah. for Big 12. Okay. So they really need the prayers, though, when they go up against Gonzaga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's like, you know, taking down Goliath there. For real. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I went to seminary. Just uh, followed a very, very um, uh, traditional route. 
Dallas Theological Cemetery, Seminary, excuse oh, me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, I um, uh, went into a local church work. Um, but back in my history, in, in my high school days, um, I saw, I uh, was a part of um, a real um, work of the Spirit in my own high school uh, as God brought about 60 families uh, to Christ, uh, and it was outside a local church structure. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, around a parachurch type of uh, activities, a huh. couple that the, the, the husband was involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the wife did a neighborhood Bible study, and, and it just... Um, it, 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 you know, we, I was on a state high school basketball championship team and of course, uh, the casually, yeah, casually, uh, <laughs> Radford high school. No. Uh, and, 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 and we saw the majority of our team, you know, come to follow Jesus, um, in that process when we won the state championship, um, it was. It got to be a little bit of a popular thing, but you know, huh. the, the entire stands would yell "PTL." That was before Jim Baker. Um, wow. But uh, praise the Lord, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this uh, secular high school. Our principal is a Buddhist, you know, and and uh, you know, just a total, you know. Um, it's like it was a dunk, and then it was PTL. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must. <no>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I saw a lot of things there that, that really imprinted on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even as I went through my college years, I was involved with crew and then into uh, seminary and into church. You know, was, I, I had this thing in my background. I knew that, that, um, that ordinary people, uh, obedience, the Spirit of God, um, people willing to follow Jesus uh, as if, he, if, if Jesus really meant what he said, um, that kind of stuff uh, really w- transformed people's lives and families and and stuff. So I got to uh, I, I left uh, seminary, went to a couple of different churches, and ended up in Kansas City working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, left there, started a church. Um, your dad uh, took us to Willow Creek yeah. for the very first time. We were connected with Heartland. Uh, that was a, 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 an amazing um, lifeline for me, and that, uh, w- and we got to, got to see a, a form of church that was really uh, focused on seeing lost people come to faith. And that's mm-hmm. uh, s- as soon as I come to faith when I was seventeen, I, I had this sense that that God wanted me to be involved in in reaching people far from Him. I just always had this passion to befriend people who seem to be um, those who are disenfranchised from the the particular religious um, mm-hmm. strategies that were out there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we started Shoal Creek, a uh, plant of Heartland, and uh, we were successful. We were very successful at seeing people come to faith. Uh, we started kind of in a pure model. We, we didn't do any musical worship on Sunday morning, and we still don't. Um, and so that was really odd, you yeah. know. We didn't we didn't really get a lot of Christian visitors coming. You know, <laughs> they didn't get mad at the worship leader in the Baptist church up the road and come to us because they wanted more Chris Tomlin or more whatever, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. They got they came in and they typically leave in the middle of the service because they're um, they didn't hear a song that they could recognize because they only listen to K-Love. They don't listen to yeah. you know, normal radio stations that <laughs> yeah. normal people listen to. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, um, and as we were successful, uh, we, we were able to uh, purchase a building, and and that really took us into a, a really steep growth pattern. And it was in, in that moment when our leadership team came together and, and we said, you know, I'm not sure we could do what uh, most normal churches do, which is raise a lot of money, go buy a piece of ground, raise a lot more money, build a building, sell this one, pay off half of that, and, yeah. and underwrite mm-hmm. that debt and keep going. We, we just, we're not, we're not structured in that way to be able to, to to get the resources we would need. So mm-hmm. we, we need to rethink ourselves. And so we did. We started um, at that point, you know, we're in the mid 2000s. And um, the w- only word we had at that moment was scalable. Hmm. You know, I, I, I've always been interested in business and 
reading and Silicon Valley has, was coming online at that point and really, you know, moving and uh, the iPhone and <clears throat> apps and all that kind of stuff was just, you know, exploding at that point. And so we had this idea, is there a scalable model for ministry? So is there is there a, um, a model out there that could show us how the gospel could move and it wouldn't be... Um, have to be leveraged with a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of uh, educated leaders and those kinds of things. Went all over the United States trying to find those folks and you know, nowhere. And then uh, in the middle of it, I had come across an article uh, by a guy who I didn't know at the moment. And now he, we're on the same team together. His name is Jim Egley. And he had sit with a bunch of uh, uh, religious leaders in Nashville, Tennessee, listening to a guy named Victor John talk about what was happening amongst the Bhujpuri in northern India. Hmm. And as I read that article, I mean, I just underlined and highlighted and that kind of stuff, and I wrote Bhujpuri up on my um, my whiteboard, and I wrote uh, Victor John, and he also mentioned David Watson. I wrote David Watson, so... Um, you know, I went out almost every day and, and um, searched. I don't even think Google was really much then, but you know, I used whatever search engine I could. You know, I think Ask I had, Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Jeeves. Yeah. I had an AOL account. Yeah. So, nice. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Still going. Still yeah. going. I don't have it anymore. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> but I do have a friend who has an AOL Email. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Crazy. Blank, blank, dot AOL. It's like, wow. That would actually be cool now, yeah. probably. Yeah, like, up, like, that's awesome. Yeah, I wonder if I could steal it from yeah. him. So. Retro. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I finally ended up uh, finding this guy, David Watson, and he his son, Paul, uh, put a bunch of videos up on a website called cpmtr.org. It stood for Church Planting Movements Training.org. Hmm. And they were terrible videos. I mean, <laughs> they were just horrible. It's like, you know, it's one of these um, conferences or these these retreats where someone took an old video camera and stuck it in the yeah. middle on a tripod yeah. and turned it on and mm. never turned it off. You know, yeah. so when we do when we do group activities, it's still on. You yeah, know? <laughs> going on, on, on. It's ironic that in those types of videos, though, it's the best type of information. You yeah. know what I mean? It's oh, always yeah. like really good stuff yeah. that you can't see yeah. or hear anything. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I, this guy, you know, David uh, was um, he was amazingly simple and surprisingly brilliant at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was, it, as I as I listened to him and I heard him talk, I'm thinking it connected with so many things um, on a um, a practical level. Maybe I could even say, if I could use the word mechanical, in a sense of, of a way of doing things that took, like for instance, it's one thing to b- believe in the priesthood of the believer. You know, it's one thing to think that every or, uh, average ordinary people can do extraordinary things. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, you know, even kids. You know, take, you take middle school kids or, or, or high school kids to think that they could, could be the change agents to reach a campus. You know, it's mm-hmm. one thing to think that. It's another thing to figure out, okay, how, how does that look when I get to that kid and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, okay, let's do this or do this or right. talking with him about a passage of Scripture. He was just amazingly brilliant in in, in those mechanic mechanics of getting things done hmm. like that. Hmm. Uh, so I started listening to him. I started turning my world upside down. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a you know bachelor's degree in Greek and a master's degree in theology, and I'm so highly educated, I'm utterly useless. But um, <laughs> so um, the, you know, the idea of of this was just causing me to just to rethink everything mm-hmm. you know as i'm going back now and, and i'm coming back uh, there's a, this japanese concept of soshin which means a beginner's eyes mm-hmm. this idea of of you know people uh, the really smart people in life achieve a level of of soshin that is is, is that they always have beginner's eyes huh and, and they never get to a space where they have, they think they know. Mm-hmm. They always are looking at it with this awe and wonder. And it, it caused huh. me to go back there in that moment and, and open up the Gospels and look at what Jesus was doing and, and, and begin to identify some of the filters that, that my theological frameworks had put on mm-hmm. me and, and how it had caused me to read certain passages in the scriptures yeah. that, that had 
predetermine my outcome because of the filter. Uh, and so I, as I as I did that, it, it just blew me away. And and uh, David and another, a friend of his, David Brudrick, were a conduit to a group called City Team International. And they uh, befriended me, took me in as a child, as an orphan, <laughs> and uh, began. And, and, you know, these were Africans and South Asians and Southeast Asians and uh, people who were seeing amazing things happen. And, and, and the, the, if you've read the book Miraculous Movements, they're the, the, the cast and crew in that, mm. that book. Yeah. Um, and, man, they just loved me into a new way of thinking. Um, and and allowed me the access to sit with them and and to go through what they'd gone through you know five to seven years ago hmm. and and rethinking a way of prosecuting the gospel that would allow it to move without the typical frictions that traditional yeah. Christianity had had put in its place yeah um, and so I I started thinking about this and I'm you know leading a local church and so we decided that we're going to figure out how to do this and so we we came up with this concept of a hybrid church this idea of a uh, you know just as a hybrid car has two different engines in it because we looked around and we said you know what we're doing is is moderately successful i mean we're hmm. seeing people come to faith we're baptizing people on a regular basis we're you know seeing some amazing transformation but if we ask ourselves the rate at which people are coming to faith through that is not going to affect even our county you know, up north Clay County, mm-hmm. it's not, not going to really move the needle that significantly. But if we were to actually ask, uh, rather than just what can we do, if we were to ask the question, what needs to be done mm-hmm. uh, in responding to the Great Commission? You know, and Jesus says that you're to teach them to obey you know, all that I've commanded. Uh, and, and them refers to all nations, all mm-hmm. ethne. And so we think, okay, there's this kind of universality in, the, in mm-hmm. the, the Great Commission. So what's my universe? Well, my universe is like Clay County, like the 300,000 people live in Clay County. And if I ask the question, what needs to be done? How do I d- develop a strategy to see every one of those people have a, a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to Jesus? Uh, it would probably not be planting the prevailing church model that we mm-hmm. have today, or it would be planting a thousand of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. have that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> Nor do I have that ac- the, that kind of resource to the trained people that I would need, right. you know, to have wow. that happen. And so something different had to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what these guys gave me as a hope of seeing something radically different. How long were you kind of with those guys relationally and processing alongside them? Well, it's been 12, 15 years now. Okay. We're still with them. I mean, I'm wow. still in, in their midst. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, but it took about three to five years of, of just real, um, is this a G-rated podcast? <laughs> we're totally Whatever you want. Are. You're oh, are right. oh, so it's a, yeah. nut, a nut crunching experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, to to just just uh, to go through and and you know, both I, I had the privilege of both um, rethinking myself as also living out in their midst. Yeah. So going to spaces where I saw people who um, didn't have an education uh, that would be one-fifth or one-tenth of what I had. Mm -hmm. And yet they're obedient, and they're willing to follow Jesus in their spaces as they've come to faith through just simply reading the Bible, hearing from God, what what does he want me to do? Doing it, being held accountable in that that, uh, obedience-based structure there, and then learning to share with their friends. In that process, watching the gospel move in such radical ways, um, and and being able to talk to those people, see that um, that transformation, you know. So it wasn't just a knowledge thing, but it was a yeah. in front of my eyes thing too. <laughs> right. And um, and so, but it did. It t- it took quite a while for us to rethink, you know, all of this stuff. So it's kind of a I, I think of it in terms of three phases that I went through. There was a. Uh, a mindset shift phase in, in which I had these mindsets that were hmm. uh, constantly changing. Then I had a momentum phase, you know, where, where, and those can be simultaneous where you have to get your fingernails in the dirt. 
Mm-hmm. So they taught me, you know, how to how to facilitate a a group where people would read the Bible. Uh, I would ask them after reading the Bible, what does God want them to do, and then ask them who they were going to share it with. And in that process, they said, look, it's most important that you don't answer questions. It's most important that the Bible become the subject matter expert. So when they ask you a question, point them back to the text and get them looking at the text for themselves. Trust that there is a spirit and, and that mm-hmm. the spirit you know, will work with the word to, to do things in their life. Well, as a seminary trained you know, person, someone asks you a question I mean, you spent a crap ton of money to get that degree, and mm-hmm. it's like I'm wasting it not answering that question. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, but it's almost like you know a, a, an addict. You know, you put whatever their preferred addiction is in front of them, and and asking them you know not to do it. It's like you know, throw a question in front of a theologian. You know, theo- theological or Bible question in front of a theologian, and ask them not to answer it. You know, it's just like you get you know the get shakes. The shakes. <laughs> yeah, you get the shakes. <laughs> With a twitching leg. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then if you begin to answer those questions for them, then they're addicted to seeking you out as the guy who has the answers, mm-hmm. which is exactly yeah. what we're trying to talk about the shift of. Mm-hmm. But that's like true in every facet of life. <laughs> it's, like, it's no different. It's like the same stuff in health and fitness. It's the same stuff with, I mean, students and education. It's like it doesn't change. But we still, I don't, I don't know. There is that addiction in general as people to almost give the answers to things that we know or think that we have the right answer for, you know. And then it's also the people on the flip side, their obsession with just getting that shortcut. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, fast food addiction. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. like you know, so especially it's hilarious in health and fitness that that concept because everyone and their mom is just trying to find every shortcut to abs. Yeah. It's like five, you can find like five week ab, like <laughs> workout templates. And you're like, no one in the right mind is getting abs in five weeks. Like, let's get real. But like people eat it up, Yeah, you know, and they just dive in because it's like, as long as there's some concept of that answer to get what I, my end goal desire is, I don't know. So you're telling me I can't get abs in five weeks? <laughs> just lipo. If you just work with me. Like every six months. <laughs> lipo. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on another oh. round. So. <laughs> I ordered that thing off Amazon for nothing. Oh. <laughs> you're the guy. He's one of the guys. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you were. what was the third phase that you were kind of in? It's it, movement. You okay. Know, it's when movement yeah. actually does happen when you begin to see multiplication, generational movement. Yeah. You know that that takes place in that process. Hmm. Um, and you know, it's just like you know, for me, I, I learned that um, um, you know the tipping point idea that takes mm-hmm. ten thousand hours before you get proficient at something. Hmm. Well, if you if you calculate that out, that's uh, five years, forty hours work weeks. Hmm. You know, so that's. That's a lot of time, and that's that's about what it took, you know, to be able to really come to grips with how to put this in place. And um, you know, I have tons of people. You know, I was on the phone this morning. Uh, you know, be on the phone after you guys. You know, <laughs> it, this people want, and I, and I always tell them, I said, "Look, I mean, are you are you ready for five years of hard work to wow. really come to grips with?" changing you know your mindset in such a way that that it becomes natural now you know mm. to realize that i can't get abs in five weeks you yeah. know i i <laughs> i know that i need to have tiny habits you know mm-hmm. i got to get to the gym i got to do certain totally. things i got to you know and and over a long period of time those tiny habits account for a lot mm-hmm. but you know, we're we're into fast food we're into mm-hmm. fast 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 you know everything you know fast yep. and and that's just a, a, an addiction to a kind of lifestyle. Americans, you know, Westerners especially, are are just a failure is is some, not something you know we really into. But you say, look, if you could learn to fail faster here, um, <laughs> you, you're going to get to that ten thousand hours a lot quicker. And it's like fail. I I don't want to fail. I right. mean, you know, I'll I'll take the Francis Chan DVD and new book mm-hmm. series and. And and go get an incremental bump, you know, 
and then mm. ultimately mm. be back to the same place I am in 18 months. You know, I, I'd rather have that, you know, rather than yeah. put my fingernails, you know, in the scriptures and, and begin to build obedience-based cultures, you know, where people come to understand what it's like to hear from God do it and, and be able to, to learn naturally to share what God's doing in their life, you know, yeah. so. I love it. So that season has lasted a while. Where would you say today you're at like actively what are the things that you're involved in directly what you know maybe even future where you're looking towards well on the ground at Shoal Creek you know I'm I'm slowly fading to gray there trying to uh, move away because the 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 reach has gotten a lot broader uh, Hmm. in a sense I'm I'm now um, I'm on the New Generations team, which is the old city team, international guys. City team birthed them because they were a city team's a rescue mission, and they were international church planting. And so, yeah. um, so I, I'm charged North America for that. I'm also chairman of the board of New Generations as well. So, do a lot there, yeah. uh, you know. And and right now, um, b- because. COVID really a- exposed the weakness of the prevailing model of church. Mm-hmm. You know, on March 15th, when our culture said, you can't come anymore. And we had been saying, you know, as a, a Christendom, come, you know, for 400 years. And and I said, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you broke the rules and, and everyone's kind of rushing for the, the the newest thing you know and mm-hmm. so a lot of people have leaned in um i wrote spent matches and it published in 2015 um it, it's like one of those books that that sits at the very bottom of the pile you know of <laughs> amazon's list and, I, and then all of a sudden covid you know shows up and i'm getting orders for can you send me 250 can you send you know oh it's, like, yeah, I mean, it's just oh. like crazy people yeah. wanting it you know uh large churches you know calling um Wow. Can you come? Can you talk to our staff? Can you help us? You know, that, that, you know, that kind of stuff. Because they, yeah. uh, I mean, a lot of you know people realize that uh, we're probably never going back. Um, it, it, it is a, it'll be a next normal or new normal, however you want to say it. But it's mm-hmm. not going to be like it was. Mm. And uh, people f- will forever now suspect uh, large gatherings as as a potential you know, contagion environment. Yeah. Um, and if you have any kind of, you know, freakazoid desire to stay healthy, you know, you're going to, you know, avoid that with a plague. Oh. Um, and then some people just hate masks. And so they're not coming back until you can take the mask off, you know, and that's, you know, who knows? Um, uh, I think uh, Biden said maybe uh, Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're telling me I got to start another school year with freaking masks. Yeah. Oh, jeez, oh, I know. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, I, I know when it, when it finally goes, it's going to be a burning of the masks. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to pile these babies up in parking lots and yeah. use lighter fluid and just light them on fire. But, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do life as we know it you know, behind a mask. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it, it just has become a broad reach now, you know, yeah. uh, nationally and globally. Um, so just spend a lot of time, you know, kind of mentor and, and coach, you know, people in this arena as as we're trying to th- sort of think our way out of the prevailing model into something that, that looks like it, it might be able to be um, virus proof. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. Thanks for sharing all that. Oh, you're welcome, um, man. So as we, you know, the past few episodes, we've been discussing just the general concept of shifting, like, um, and it's, it's very general, you know, so there's a lot of room within it, but just the focus of the shifting from the many, mm-hmm. right. And even as you're discussing with COVID and the shifts there and starting to kind of focus in on the few, mm-hmm. um, We'd love to hear just kind of first off your thoughts of that broad general thing. Mm-hmm. And then as you in your experience and stuff, how like what, where is that important? And in what spaces is that like really effective to start shifting your mindset towards that? Yeah. Well, I think they, you know, when we were one to many, like the prevailing model is uh, people get taught stuff. You get a, 
you know, a passage and you're told what this passage means and maybe there's some suggestions about how you should put it into practice mm-hmm. and you know, go home. Yeah. <laughs> watch football, golf or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, go home and and you come back the next week and no one ever says, uh, hey man, how'd you do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, what did you do anything with that or yeah. and uh there's there's never any accountability, you know, yeah. in that, that process. So Getting you know from one to many to a few, getting face to face, eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee with people, and building these redemptive communities that have an obedience-based culture in them um, is, is kind of the only way it happens. Yeah. Um, it's because then when we gather and we sit down, and we say, "Hey, last week you told me in response to this passage you were going to do this. Did you do it?" Yeah. And. And you say yes or no, or yeah. well, or you start you know doing a little dance, and mm-hmm. I realize okay, yeah, you didn't do it. That's yeah. what you're telling me. Yeah. Um, but but because I'm I'm submitting myself to that kind of small culture, uh, it 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 means I have a heart that's inclined to want to do it, right. even if I don't. So I mean, we do you know celebrate partial obedience, you know, in that sense. But but at the same time, it's like this idea of like. You know, Jesus said, you know, if you love me, do what I say, not know what I say. Right. So it, yeah, I'm not that concerned that you know. I'm more concerned that you do. So I think you've, you've got to get it down, you know, to small cadres of people who are looking at each other eyeball to eyeball that uh, know enough about each other, commit enough about each other to, to be able to, to come back week after week after week and, and see our souls shaped um, into this uh this posture of understanding that that God is the creator of life, and if there's anybody we should be listening to, you know, if there's any consultant or any anybody that that uh, should speak into our social media, you know, feed, you know, it it, it would be God. It would mm-hmm. be Him. He should be my first resort in terms of uh, anything that's going on in my life. And so, uh, when my life uh, is revolving around that kind of posture, leaning into wanting to hear from my father and and realize that he's interested in, in helping me do do the life that he created me to do um, makes all the difference in the world. So uh, I'm not sure I'm answering your question wow. here. I just go off on tangents. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> I love it. Anything that objects. comes to mind for you guys? Yeah, I just, I guess I had a question about... Um, you you said that there was a there was a point where he started kind of like unveiling these filters, mm-hmm. and so I, I know you named a couple, but is there? Mm-hmm. Can you go more into that? Like, what should we be looking out for? Like mm-hmm. in our mindset that kind of goes with the flow of the church culture now, and we mm-hmm. and we just kind of get into that path, and we don't take the time to do that. What are things we should look for? Yeah, yeah. There's a few. Um, I, I think you know the the idea of moving from knowledge to obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding that I'm really not that concerned about what you know. Um, facts are important. I mean, you got to know some things, but but we kind of practice a spiritual obesity in our world where um, it, it, you think about, you know, talking about the, the fitness world, you know, one of the things you got to do is say, okay, um, if, if you want abs, uh, there's a certain amount of intake that you can have. If mm-hmm. you intake more than that, based on what what you're doing over here working out you're never going to have those abs mm. and so you've got to figure out what this intake is well in the spiritual world we don't do that it's just like we go to the old country buffet you know every week uh maybe several times a week you know we we hit the old country buffet we eat it up that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and then we go out and do we do anything with it mm. and we sort of think I I need to be okay I'll try not to lie I'll try not to you know uh, cheat on my wife. Uh, I'll, I'll drive well. I won't say too many bad words. Um, you know, blah 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 blah. You know, right. and, and this is just this general sense of being moral, right? R- rather than you know having this posture of obedience to a father who who speaks you know into your life. Um, like today, I was in my front yard, and there's a stinking piece of trash out there. <laughs> And it, and the wind's blowing, and I'm thinking, what idiot, you know, let their trash blow into my yard, and, I, <laughs> and all of a sudden I just hit by that. Hey, this is my my earth, God speaking. This is my earth. I want you to take care of it. Go pick up that piece of trash. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, 
I didn't throw that piece of trash down. But, but no. there was this moment of submission to say, okay, Father, I'm an idiot. I, 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 you know, I, I, it's like turns it on you. Yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> go, go pick it up and throw it away. You know, yeah. there's a sense of, and those moments when God speaks into your life, you know, and just begins to, just small things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, really important, I think, to learn. So obedience, it becomes you know knowledge to obedience. Mm. Um, I think, uh, in the space that that you guys are are working in, you know, uh, we have a. A, a real sense of, of wanting to trust the qualified. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was willing to release the willing. Mm-hmm. So he comes to the demoniac, he heals him, you know. Mm-hmm. That was he, good. The guy says. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> the, the, the demoniac says, let me sit at the feet of Jesus and soak, you mm-hmm. know. That's where everybody was. Let me get in the boat with you. And Jesus says, not on your life. Go back home and tell him what happened to you. And it's like, we're sitting there going, wait, the wait, wait, yeah. wait. You yeah. should have six needs, weeks of training. <laughs> no, no follow-up. Let's go on the retreat. Yeah, no follow-up. You know, he didn't go to camp, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> he, he, he didn't, you know, sign the documents or get baptized or, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. He, he, he didn't go to Bible school, nothing. You know, he, he just goes back. And if you follow mm. that story and you go back, you know, he comes from Decapolis and if you, you look at what happened there, um, you know, we don't know it for sure, but it, it sure seems that that something happened spiritually there, and it probably is related to his going back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of trusting the qualified or releasing the willing, you know, it's like a willing heart, spirit of God, word of God, is far more dangerous, you know, than than someone who has been stuffed full of knowledge and. You know, like me, highly qualified to be utterly useless, you know. Yeah. Uh, we, we educate our abilities out of us sometimes. Mm. You know? So that's really important, I think, to, to realize is that, uh, the you know, uh, a virus transfers. And we, you know, it's maybe popular, not popular anyway. We all know how a virus <laughs> It's relevant. It's trendy yeah. right now. It's trendy. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. So you think about, you know, a Venn diagram, three circles. Uh, it has to be strong enough. You know, you have to have the virus strong enough. Then you have to be close enough. And, and then you have to be there long enough, mm-hmm. you know. So the, those, when those three things collapse in the middle, strong enough, you know, close enough, long enough, then you have the potential for that virus to transfer, mm. you know. And that, that's all you need. Hmm. And so I, I think, you know, um, one of the the misnomers that, that I had to come to is like we think of uh, reproduction, you know, it's like, oh, we need to reproduce, you know, that kind of stuff. And I realized, you know, reproduction kind of has an idea in it. So I have a six-year-old grandson, Hollis. And, uh, you know, our hope for Hollis is he'll, you know, get through grade school, middle school, high school, you know, into college. He'll meet some girl. And maybe uh, once he's got to whether, you know, grade school or trade school or whatever he's done, you know, driving a truck or what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, um, he gets married. And then he gets married, and maybe they spend a few, you know, glorious years um, as newlyweds, and then all of a sudden, you know, she gets pregnant, and they have a baby. And we think of that's the model we have of reproduction, and it and we imprint that on the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got to go through these certain stages mm-hmm. at certain times, and the time element is huge. But but I, I find in the New Testament, in that example of Jesus, you know, in uh, with the gathering demoniac, or at the at the uh, the Great Commission at the at the Mount when the the disciples met them, you know, we always like you know you you guys probably you know you grew up in church and you had, had a Bible memory program right and you memorized you know Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. Well, God forbid we would start at sixteen, you know, if you memorize Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty because in sixteen it says that they everyone showed up where Jesus told them and when Jesus showed up some worshipped. And some doubted. Mm-hmm. So here we are at the moment. Jesus gives the last command to his disciples. Some worshipped and some doubted. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like Jesus like, time out. You guys go over there and keep singing 12 verses of whatever, you know, chorus you want to sing. I'm going to take the doubters and we're going to go to some basic follow-up Bible school here. You know, yeah. and, and Jesus doesn't even bat an eye. He does, doubting. The fact that people are doubting doesn't even bother him. Mm. He just gives the doubters a great commission, as long well, along with the worshipers. Yeah, you know, and, and so yeah. this, you know, trusting the willing. Now they showed partial obedience. They had already demonstrated 
they were obeying Jesus, they showed up yeah. when he asked them to. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, and so he had enough movement in them to yeah. set them free. Mm. And, and so I think that's a, a, a real key, you know, in that arena. Yes. Um, yeah. And the prevailing, you know, model just in growing up in ministry, too, it's like, there's just such limiting capacities for students. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I'm not trying to throw stones again, but like I also like if you were to approach a, a youth pastor now, it'd be like, what would the biggest win be for this student? Like, what would that be? I'd be, I think that'd be a hard one for them to answer. Truthfully, mm-hmm. I think some would answer like to continue to love Jesus yeah, and like about, be morally. It's all about maintenance. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more about maintenance than it is about seeing, you know, them make disciples or go out and obey or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. like I, <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but the, maybe the most would be that they would invite a lot of friends to come to this gathering. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that, that, I mean, I, and I'm not saying that that's all bad, right? But I am saying it's like it, if that is the, the top goal, it's like, whoa. there's something missing there in that link and it's like almost like our desire too as you know as when we are engaging with students is to really speak that life into them Mm -hmm. to say all of that power that they do hold but well it's it's, that's one of the the counterintuitives is you know in the prevailing model uh we're hooked on growth you know it's all about growth Mm -hmm. and jesus was all about multiplication Mm. And, and so when you look in John 15, for instance, and you see the, the use of the f- word fruit there, you know, so it's like, you know, bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that lasts. And it's like, I don't know if you, I mean, do you know fruit that lasts? You know, so Ta- may, real ones. <laughs> yeah, maybe your grandma had some lemons on the oh, middle of the table that were, that were wax, you know, <laughs> lemonade. grandma's lemonade. Yeah. He had a dream about a gra- his grandmother's oh, lemonade. So there we go. But, you know, the thing that remains out of a fruit is seed. You know, that's, yeah. you set it out, that's the only thing that, that will remain is, is the seed. And so, you know, you look in John 15, uh, we look at it, you know, and I've been taught, I taught over my years, the, the idea of, of growth in that. Mm-hmm. And we exchange or settle for growth, you know, rather than multiplication. Mm. You know, it's, it's a little bit like... Um, if you get people into a bit of an argument, um, so which is which is more important, the Great Commission or the Great Commandment? Mm. And so you know, and so you'll see that some churches and organizations will will come up with this uh, this mission statement. You know, love God, love people, make disciples. And unfortunately, in the prevailing model of church, we've decided that two out of three ain't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I mean, heck, there's. There are people in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown that never got to two out of three. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> one out of three is plenty for you know yeah. to get you there. You know, in that sense, and, and so you know, love God, love people. Well, yeah, doggone, we missed it on that yeah. make disciple thing. You know, and and so you know, I, I believe that you know that final command, that last command that Jesus gave, you know, is the prime directive in everything. Everything, even the Great Commission, I mean the Great Commandment, even belongs under that. Mm-hmm. It, it's submissive to that. So, if I'm going to love God, then I've got to figure out how to multiply. Yeah. And if I can't figure out if everything about what I'm doing uh, isn't based on multiplication, then I have to rethink myself. How well am I connected to the the very spirit that Jesus had in in this world? Because He was all about multiplication. That's why he came, and that was his strategy. And somehow we've left that behind. Yeah. Storm, how's this hitting you? What do you think? It's tough. Um, It's going to cause some more dreams, I can tell. (laughs) No, I mean, that's... uh, uh, In the teaching environment, like the whole separation of church and state, it's hard to find footholds and handholds. but in in that thinking of everything falling underneath the multiplication effort, it's convicting, honestly. Um, mm. I mean, in a powerful way, it's like, uh, you know, like 
a few episodes ago, or maybe just in a conversation outside of the episodes, Corey, you had mentioned that a, a student at our school that we both, or at my school that we both know, had said that in one way or another, I do a good job of expressing that I know God and love God. But hmm. <laughs> so what if, right? <laughs> um, that's tough. That's that's a good challenge to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to just be the teacher that knows God, loves God, and loves people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want, I, if it is true and powerful in my life, then it should be spilling out and, mm-hmm. and touching people around me. So. Well, you know, you started with story here, and now that's you know a really important thing for you guys. And that uh, you think about the the narratives that drive um, the prevailing model of church, church, true ecclesia, however you want to you know, describe this this thing that Jesus left behind. Um, and I, I think you know, uh, you know, asking that question, what does God want? And, and one of the narratives that I've been working with lately is this idea that, that God was uh, a father who wanted a family. And, and the family was the only way that he could uh, multiply himself. Uh, fix for all eternity was this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, they couldn't make another one of themselves. But what they could do is, is create a family who would have the same DNA and reflect who they were. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in effect, uh, they, could, they could give away what they had, the, the beautiful dance of all eternity that that, that triune God had. They give away that joy and this stuff into a family. And, and so the, one of the core pieces of, of, of God is, you think, of, is generosity, you know, and, and uh, you know, you, you read a systematic theology book, and they'll want to put, you know, the, an attribute sort of what what is the single most uh, core attribute to God, and you know, people will put like glory, hmm. you know, or love, or you know, they'll and and we'll argue for centuries over which one <laughs> belongs there, but but uh, I'm going to create another argument by putting generosity there. <laughs> yeah. God is just a giving God. He just, you know, the the, the triune God wanted to give away what they had. And so in the, in the garden, they, they create a family and, and that family raised the middle finger to them and said, no way we want more. And, And, and the broken heart of, of losing that family. And so you've got this broken-hearted father mm. who's desperate to recollect and remake his family. Mm. And so that's why you and I get the chance to do what we do because he's, he's brought us into his family. And we've got brothers and sisters out there who are yet to enjoy the benefits of the family. And he's given us the privilege to to offer them that opportunity mm-hmm. to find them. That, that narrative is, is radically different than the narrative that I grew up under that, oh. you know, there are found people and there are lost people right. and let's go help the lost people understand why they're so stupid. <laughs> and if, if they yeah. would simply assent to four different things about this moment in history that we're going to celebrate this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, then they could go from lost to found. Uh, and and it's like that's the that's the stop. That, that's where the that's it. it ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like no, it doesn't end there because just like a a parent standing in a department store loses a child, uh, you will stop at nothing until you find that child. Yeah. And and no action is deemed in 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 your your filters as as out of bounds because the most important thing is finding that child yeah. you know and and i think you know passages like luke 15 give us that idea that when when luke says um, and jesus is telling the story that the father saw the son from afar off it's like how in the world did he just choose the lottery one day walk out and look out and, no there he is, there he is. Like, yeah. no. he's probably there daily yeah. every day yeah. longing longing for that son to return yeah. You know, and I think about that, you know, and and the privilege that that father gives me, you know, to long for my not yet brothers and sisters to to join me in experiencing the 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 favor, you know, of what it's like to live in his family. Um, that was Romans eight. I was just going through with a kid this morning, 
uh, about like nothing can separate us from the love. And that yeah. was like one of the big things that stuck out for both of us was like this re- realization of all the laundry list that it yeah. goes through, yeah. you know, life or death, literally nothing, powers, not a single thing. And yeah. it's like, that is real generosity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not just gen- generosity when you want it to yeah. be. That's, yeah. that's like all the time, yeah. never ending. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that generous spirit, I think, doesn't pervade us, and that's that's a you know um, I, I think one of the things that uh, the this is not a counterintuitive necessary, but but um, we we have to build cultures of uh, of generosity of multiplication, mm-hmm. and what what we have you know right now in, in, in the prevailing model is you know maybe a culture of inviting. Uh, maybe a culture of grace, a culture of, you know, whatever, growth. But we don't have cultures, you know, that really are uh, addicted to multiplication and, and generosity. And so it, it takes, back to your question, why do we draw it down to a few? Yeah. Well, you don't build culture with a crowd. You, know, you build sure. culture with a few. And, and you get that DNA embedded and and then it transfers because they have it strong enough, yeah. you know. And then you get long enough and close enough, and it transfers. So you get it down, you know, to a few, and you start to get that pure DNA going. And ultimately, it's like my friends in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, you, you experience the long tail. You know, they went for five good years of just like blood and guts and nothing, and then all of a sudden, boom! And now, you know, wow. you're talking about millions. You know, of even you know followers of Islam, you know half a million followers of Islam coming to embrace Jesus, mm. um, you know as uh, as the true God, uh, Creator yeah. of the universe and stuff. But it 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 went like this, you know, yeah, little little little, and then boom, you know, it takes off because you get that going. So yeah. I love it. Okay, so as we wrap up here. Um, I'd love if you'd just share kind of your, and you know, maybe it's not one, but few things that you would say to kind of like, you know, leaders and others that are focusing in on students in, in American culture. Like what, if you could impart something, mm-hmm. what would that be? And like, just to go, Hey, you know, cause Dylan was even bringing up what were those things that you were trying to focus back in on mm-hmm. that really helped create mm-hmm. that shift? Yeah. Um, what would they be? first thing that comes to mind is just believing that students could see the movement of the gospel in their campuses hmm. and, and, and give them that vision that they don't need me. They don't need, you know, a church, a youth group, uh, hmm. that, you know, uh, a small band of, of committed disciples could transform a campus and, um, you know, it, it, grabbing a hold of that and learning to practice that and realizing that um, I'm not here to mentor them, you know, necessarily. I'm here to walk alongside them and I'm here to point them in the right directions and uh, I, you know, help coach them and that kind of stuff. But but just doing everything you can to give them the belief that uh, that campus is their mission field and they're called there for, you know, a, a short time, they've got an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to to represent and, and to really invite people into their story. And it, you know, there's a kind of a four step process here. Um, you know, to be a disciple, I mean, to make a disciple, you got to be a disciple. So you got to learn the habits, you know, of a multiplying disciple mm-hmm. and and getting those embedded in them to understand that I'm just not going ahead to preach Jesus. Not, not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm not talking about you know, another uh, see at the pole, you know, deal where I wear my Jesus T-shirt and people know I'm a Jesus person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not asking, you know, not, not looking at them to share their faith. Um, I want them to, to learn to normally share their story or invite other people into their story. Yeah. And, and because their their students, their, their friends are not asking if 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 Jesus is true. You know, they, they could care less whether Jesus is true. What they're more interested in is, does Jesus work? Hmm. Is, is there an appreciable difference in your world? True. Because you have knelt your knee and you say, Jesus, you know, is the single organizing principle in my world. 
And as we start to help students, you know, get their minds around that, their hearts around that, and then believe in them, um, you know, to let them go, you know, and just things I already said, you know, mm-hmm. helping them understand. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, to increase your Bible knowledge. Right. And what I'm more interested in is your, is your obedience quotient. You know, not your IQ, but, but your OQ, you know, <laughs> how, how quick, you know, uh, and, and you look at that, you know, you define that in terms of, you know, the, the, the time between acquisition and application is that begins to shrink all of a sudden, you know, you begin to realize that I've got someone who's going to become a multiplying disciple. Yeah. Know? And, uh, but that vision, you know, for like an, in a, take a freshman in, in high school for four years, you know, what could happen? You know, what could happen on a campus in four years? I know. Um, and, and how that could change the direction, you know, and I, I, I know it not because I, I think about it as, as uh, something that could happen. I, I watched it happen on my own campus. You know, I, I watched it when I was in high school and uh, how, how we just simply, you know, saw Jesus um, do amazing things, you know, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our parents um, as, as the, the gospel moved from, from mm-hmm. kids to parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even today, you know, I, I Facebook friends, you know, with, with people, it's like, and I just look at this, you know, Anna and Lauren Lorenzen, and I realized that, you know, Gary and Jay came to faith, mm. you know, in an FCA huddle, and and Lee and Anna and Lauren and all, you know, they just wafted back into their family. Mm. And uh, I, I would just dream, you know, kind of holy dreams, you know. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> holy dreams. Speaking <laughs> of that. Uh, Dreamer girl here. Most of mine are anxiety induced, <laughs> but <laughs> they're unholy. They're unholy oh. dreams. Redemption's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like you're speaking of that application or acquisition application. I literally, there's a kid that I've had three conversations with so far, and he skates, and he's he's not. He is doing all online school, um, and I just had the conversation with him. A lot of what you're saying, like I'm not. I don't want to give you another night of uh, Christendom in your head, you know, but mm-hmm. I'd much rather just go, hey, are we doing this or not? And mm-hmm. like, I'm going to hold myself accountable. And I, you, that's open for you to actually ask me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I want that, you know, because yeah. uh, who wouldn't from a kid like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, but he, I mean, like the next day, and he'll just text me, hey, dude, I'm at the skate park and I, I walked up to this kid, Tim, and we had this like really wild conversation. I mean, it's like we've had two conversations. Like, I barely know. <laughs> and it's like almost instantaneous. He's like, well, I just need to build as many relationships as I can at the skate wow. park. And he just keeps building. Yeah. And it's like mm. e- e- every single time I meet with him, it's like there's more and more and more conversations that are coming out. And then he's even inviting kids like to come. He's got a small half pipe at his place. And I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that it, it just, I don't, I don't know adults that do that. I, I just yeah. don't like, it just <laughs> doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I will say like on the flip side of that, it's like, as you do with adults, there is a different openness, mm-hmm. you know, almost from compared to a student who maybe doesn't have a faith in God mm-hmm. to an adult. Like there is a difference in yeah. the relational uh, ability to even connect yeah. with them. And yeah. so like the student, that's why, I mean, for me, why I'm so passionate about working alongside students yeah. and just loving on them because I see that implementation, yeah. you know, and application so quick. And it's like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it psychs me up every time I'm yeah. with him too. And it's like, man, I'm just hoping and praying God continues to open those doors yeah. alongside Luke and all yeah. these things. So yeah. that's man, awesome. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, you know, it's, it's a blast. I really man. appreciate you being on and like, um, yeah, we're just all excited to learn, you know, and yeah. that's kind of our thing. And with, hopefully we all have that new eyes that you were referring mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to everything. And we want to just, with the podcast and everything else, continue to keep that posture. So, well, thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. This is uh, it's really important. Awesome. Thanks, Roy. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. I wanted to say yeehaw the whole time. I, <laughs> I don't know.
Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Shift podcast. We hope that it's been fun and created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to multiply disciples and see a movement among students. If you're a youth pastor, teacher, coach, or parent in Kansas City and looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so that we can learn about what you are doing and how you're joining Jesus for gospel saturation in the city. If you're outside the KC area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement amongst students that leads to the emergence of student-led microchurches in every school within your city, we'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at caseyunderground.org.